It's October, which means we have a spooky draft for our favorite spooky people. Vote for your favorite monster matchup draft team on our social media. All month long, we'll be posting polls on Instagram and Twitter at sexwithghosts underscore. And we're competing for the ultimate spooktober team of monsters. Molly has Medusa, Alice Cullen, Percy Hamhands, Alduin the Dragon, and Falks the Phoenix. Bridget has Jeff the Mongoose, Scott Howard Teen Wolf, Nadja the Vampire, Slenderman, and the Scarlet Beast. On Twitter, be sure to like or retweet to get your name in the drawing. Each vote on Instagram and Twitter gets an entry, and each like and retweet gets an entry for the drawing. So the more you participate, the more chances to win. And at the end of the month, we'll draw the winners' names and send out prizes. Patreon patrons are automatically submitted into the drawing if you're looking to increase your chances. It's on, Molly. I'm going to kick your ass. Oh, no. I'm scared. with ghosts i am bridget and i am here with the most spookiest powerful podcast co-host in the game molly i don't think spooky would be a good way to describe me but that's all right hello bridget you're underselling your spooky prowess maybe and today we are doing mothman and i feel like We are doing Mothman. I mean, it is October and we've done a couple of monsters now. We've done the Wendigo and we did the Jersey Devil. And Mothman is one that comes up a lot when we do cryptids. And so it just just feels like it's time. I am glad we did this because I did not know anything about the Mothman before this. And it did feel like something that I should know. I felt like I knew a lot about the Mothman. But in my research, I felt like I found more things that make Mothman more sense to me. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't really understand the origin of like why people are talking about Mothman, especially more recently, and what Mothman could be, for instance. There's some better theories coming out as time has gone by. And I feel like maybe my past run-ins with the Mothman didn't really explain it in a way where you're like, okay, I still don't know where this thing came from. Do you want to tell us about the stats of this creepy creature? Yeah, it's important to get the basics. Mothman is a cryptid, and the origin is Point Pleasant, West Virginia, in North America. It is one and a half to two meters, or five to six and a half feet tall. My book said it was broader than a human, though I did not see that referenced anywhere else in my research. I wonder if that's because we're we're talking wingspan too. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure if they were referencing that too. The wings are commonly feathery or bat-like, which is not like a moth, despite the name, with a wingspan of three meters or 10 feet. Did you find anything that really connected it back to a moth besides the name story? I don't think so, no. But there's nothing really in its appearance. This could be something. Do moths flap their wings? Yes, they do. Otherwise, how would they fly? I don't know. Anyway, the book says that <laughs> the book says that they don't need to flap to take off or fly. Like it does not appear that people who see them in the air see it in the air, whatever it is. It doesn't seem like the wings are flapping at the time. Like it's gliding. Yeah, so I guess somewhere like a bird. Which will come up a lot. Yes. 
another interesting feature, it shuffles or waddles as opposed to walking or running. So it is less like a human in that aspect. It is commonly black or gray with our signature red glowing eyes. I think that covers that. Yeah. Do you know or do you feel like you know from the research you did why we're still talking about this damn cryptid? Why this cryptid is a big thing? No. So the reason you might be listening to podcasts and they're talking about the Mothman or you're really into just that kind of weird, creepy world is because they made a movie (laughs) in 2002. Uh, Richard Gere is in it. He's the main character, plays John Klein, which is basically, we'll get to it. It's the author of the book in some ways. Deborah Messing's in it too, and she does her great work playing the sad wife. I am not a Deborah Messing fan, so to me, it's hilarious that she, of course, plays a sad, maybe dying wife. Seems to be a role that she's great at nailing. And a detail I thought you would maybe appreciate, Steve from Sex in the City is in the movie. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I half-heartedly tried to get Matthew to watch the movie, and we decided that was not in our best interest, so we did not. (laughs) Honestly, I'll save everybody some time here. The movie is not great. So if you want to watch a bad movie, I would say it's, it's good enough bad to laugh at, but I would not go there expecting a real plot that makes any sense. So maybe I would like it. So maybe you would like it because I didn't think it was scary. I thought it was kind of cheesy, but I'll give you a little taste here. So in this clip, John Garrett is on the phone with who we allegedly assume to be the Mothman. Hello, John Clark. Who is this? My name is Andrew Cole. Unless, of course, you're Gordon Smallwood. Your father was born in Racine, Wisconsin. You lived in a greenhouse on Monroe Street. You don't remember how your mother looked. Okay, you got my attention. Where's my watch? In your shoe. Under the bed. Okay, now we see Richard closing the curtains, turning off the lamps. He's in the dark now. That seems like a bad idea. (laughs) He's picking up the phone again. Dropped the phone. Seems to be some sort of bizarre panic. Looking. You will see her in time. 
That had nothing to do with anything that I read, just for the record. I mean, except for when he asked what he looked like and he said, it depends on who's looking, which I feel like becomes a common theme with these eyewitness accounts. But that probably was the most compelling part. So I haven't mentioned this before in the stats, but most people believe that Mothman appearing is a harbinger of doom. Yes. So is that the whole point of the movie? Yeah, so the movie is, like I said, it came out in 2002, and it's pretty modern of 2002, like in terms of what the world was like at 2002. But this is based on a book, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. So the book is written by John Keel. And John Keel, when he wrote this book, it came out in 1975. But his book, a lot of places I was seeing it as like, this is nonfiction. And in his book, he basically tells the story of what happened in the 1960s and the event that took place after those sightings, which I believe you will touch more on later. Yes, definitely. So there is doom and there is doom at the end of the 2002 movie. And John Keel was a known pulp writer, ufologist. He had theorized that events like these with Mothman and vampires and fairies have a larger history pertaining to extraterrestrials relationship with humans. And One that, from what I gathered, seemed to be like these sort of creatures exist as some sort of manipulation by aliens. I might be butchering that a bit because I was like, I don't want to spend all my time doing research on John Keel. (laughs) But maybe that's a future episode because he is rather interesting, actually. Sure. So I do at least encourage looking him up. And he's like known for popularizing the term men in black. And he took an interest in Point Pleasant because at the same time as the Mothman accounts were happening, so were UFO sightings and supposedly a visit from the men in black. This was all happening in West Virginia at Point Pleasant at the same time. So that really drew him in to create this book, which then created a whole culture of this town, which I'll kind of lead with. For instance, erecting a giant Mothman statue in the heart of downtown Point Pleasant. And they put this up in 2003. John Keels was actually there for the reveal of the statue. It was commissioned to be made by Bob Roach, who was a retired welder who made art out of stainless steel. And the statue is 12 feet tall with chrome polish. It has human legs. It has massive steel bat-like wings that rise above 13 feet. It has ruby red eyes the size of footballs that are mirrored inside so that they glow at night in reflected light or in the daytime with a camera flash. It has upper and lower fangs, a hairy chest with six-pack abs, clawed hands and feet and (laughs) my favorite detail the creature has a braided mullet haircut Ah. and no visible reproductive organs well that's fascinating really could fit multitudes of people's fantasies here definitely also could be like a humanoid alien creature as well could fit into that for sure oh yeah one that likes uh party in the back and braided business in the front also my partner matthew did comment that a lot of folks do find the mothman to be a little bit sexy hey there's a someone out there for everyone or something i wonder if there's like a like you know the furries 
Yeah, yeah, similar. Do they have a cryptid version? Is there a cryptid version or is that just cosplay? I don't know, but I do imagine that it is kind of just like a something for everyone situation. The annual Mothman Festival was supposed to happen the third weekend of September. However, it was canceled this year. But there is an entire festival in Point Pleasant that commemorates the original 1966 Mothman sightings. In addition, there's the Mothman Museum, which includes lots of information directly from the sources and including newspaper clippings from the time. That's what I wanted to point out about the name, which we'll talk more about the actual sightings, but the name Mothman was like a newspaper coining of the term. And a lot of people, it's been speculated. And from what I saw in my research, it seemed like it was an apocryphal story of like, Batman was really popular. There was a killer known as like the killer moth. And they were like, Mothman, that's how they came up with this name. And none of those apocryphal stories made any sense to me where I was like, oh, yeah, I see exactly how that was derived. I feel like someone told this story and then every article was like using it. We'll stick with that. Sure. Yeah. I don't know that there is anything beyond that. It definitely seemed like at least the museum aspect of it was they're just there to capitalize on the Mothman and the interesting parts of it. And even though there were people in the town that didn't believe in it, there's enough interest that bringing people to the town as tourists could have been on some people's mind. It's a town of 5,000 people or so, and they get from one of the documentaries I was watching, they said that they get eight to 10,000 visitors. Yeah. Which is insane for, you know, small town. It's huge. And that was one of the reasons why they canceled that festival because COVID in West Virginia is not doing so well and bring double, triple your population in one weekend. That seems like a, just a bad sign. That's a bad situation <laughs> for everyone. Boss man can wait. There are first person accounts from all of the main players in the basic story that I will tell a little bit later. Mary Heyer, who was a newspaper reporter at the time, who reported on all of the strange occurrences in the area. And then Linda and Roger Scarberry and Steve and Mary Mallett who were the young couple who first reported Mothman to the police. Mary Heyer was buddies with John Keel from one of the things that I was watching. And she was like really known for, I mean, you said strange occurrences, but she's reporting on the UFOs. She claimed that the men in black visitor at work. So she's like down the rabbit hole. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. Especially as a newspaper reporter. I feel like that is kind of a weird trope in supernatural horror movies where the investigative reporter is the first one on the scene. I mean, they definitely used it in the Mothman prophecies. (laughs) And I wonder if it's a difference of independent newspaper reporting like now most newspapers are either owned by a larger news conglomerate or they just reprint like what the ap is putting out so this is like a time when you still had mom and pop newspapers yeah yeah i think that's probably true and it seemed like not everyone in the town was super big fan of mary hire at the time (laughs) Because she was reporting on that kind of thing. But I think that probably at the time, it's not like they're going to fire her just because of that. Not old Mary. (laughs) Which might be not how it works today. If Mothman occurred today, well, I guess we'd have the internet. I guess people find a way. (laughs) 
people find a way, but they don't have the same credibility that Mary Heyer had. Sure. So I'm going to talk about the stories that the museum focuses on, like the mainstream basic stories of Mothman. And one of them is kind of interesting because it happens three days before like the main Mothman story, but actually the protagonist doesn't report it until after the first story because he doesn't understand what he's seen and it makes sense. It's a man named Kenneth Duncan who was burying his brother-in-law in a cemetery in Clendenin, West Virginia with four other men. So they're digging a grave. And Kenneth looks up and he spots a man-like figure in the trees who flies off. And the four other people who are digging at the time don't see this creature. But once he hears this story from the youths in a couple days, he will report this story. From the official accounts anyway, this seems to be the first appearance of the Mothman. Yeah. I would say I saw a lot of that. Personally, I don't know. I kind of wanted the Bigfoot thing or even the Jersey Devil thing where it's like, this thing has been here for all ages. And I don't think you can definitively say that. One of the things I was seeing was like, there was an argument that much of the native culture was basically destroyed by colonizers. (laughs) So... You wouldn't even know if something like that existed. I was kind of bummed out because, you know, it's more fun when you have <laughs> centuries of history on these creatures. Yes. But at the same time, it kind of does lend itself to that doom prophesizing part of it. So you can see how that also plays into it a little bit. If there's only a specific time period. Yeah. And then it has to also be documented. Yeah, yeah. Which, from his story, you could see, like, well, maybe other people did see flying humanoid creatures, but they didn't report it because they're like, why would I report that? That's not the news. Mary, shut up. Ah, all right. So November 15th, 1966, Linda and Roger Scarberry and Stephen Mary Mallet are traveling to Hangout Point in a black 1957 Chevy. So they're about to have a foursome. Right. This is a common area for young people to go to. Bridget will get more into this a bit later, but it is kind of like a hangout makeout point. It's a place of orgies. Just kidding. (laughs) They see a shadowy man-like figure by the abandoned North Power Plant. They describe it with circular fiery eyes with the wobbling movement that I spoke of earlier. The couple is spooked, so they drive off, but the creature follows them. They're driving down the country roads and the passengers, the other people, encourage the driver to drive faster because It appears this flying creature is following them and they make it up to speeds of 100 miles per hour and the flying creature is still following them. There are reports that the wings beat against the car and there are scratches afterwards. The creature squeaks like a big mouse and it only leaves them when they get to the next town. So. They get to the next town, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they think, maybe we'll go to the police. But they think, the police aren't going to believe us. This is crazy. So they turn around to go back. And they see a large dead dog. At that point, they see the Mothman, presumably, flying over. And in hindsight, when they come back, they never see the dead dog again. So I guess they assume that. This creature has eaten the dead dog. But since they've seen the creature again, they decide this is the time to contact the police. We've seen this creature twice now. It's real. So a deputy, Millard 
Halstead is a little bit hesitant to believe them at first, but then these youths are scared enough that he believes that they're telling the truth. You're saying youths like young people. Yes, yes. I don't know if they were married at the time or if they were not, but young people. Yeah, you don't have to be married to go to an orgy. Sure. I would predict 24 and under. So the deputy gets in his car with the youths. I just like using youths because it makes me feel, I don't know. Old? Sophisticated? Yeah. Like you're drinking bourbon, smoking a, your wood pipe? Something like that. Well, he is smoking from a tobacco pipe while she tells the story. It's true. <laughs> ah. Great O-rings, by the way. So the deputy gets in the car, goes to investigate. He does hear static disturbances on his radio, but does not see anything to confirm the story. However, the youths believe that they see uh, shadow circling and also some dust near an adjacent coal yard. They return the next day because they are quite frightened and disturbed by this creature. They see weird tracks, which look like two horseshoes put together. And they do see something flying up a boiler. That's the origin story of the Mothman. Yeah, so then this starts getting reported, right? Then that's when our Batman story of how we named the Mothman comes out. And after this event, There are eight additional sightings in the span of three days. So it includes two volunteer firefighters who said they saw a very large bird with large red eyes, which I don't know why that one came up time and time again, because I was like, sounds like it's obviously a bird, which we'll probably touch base more on later. But one of the stories I really enjoyed was that of Noel Partridge, who is a resident of Salem, West Virginia. And he claimed he saw strange patterns appearing on his TV one night. And he was followed by this mysterious sound outside his home. And so he goes out there with the flashlight, tries to shine the light in the direction of the noise. And he sees two red eyes resembling bicycle reflectors looking back at him. And what's so great about this story is that shortly after this sighting, his dog disappears. And so everyone was like, obviously it was the Mothman and he took his dog. So it's a story that gets told, told again. That's a bummer. It is weird because at least in terms of like modern day storytelling, it does feel like, you tell me if this is correct, the doom of the prophecy is more scary than some sort of creature coming in to kill. I would say, yes. I think that is kind of like the thesis of John Keel's book, which is like all this weird stuff and how it like adds up to something larger. But- Is anyone going to give a shit about that if there isn't a little bit of, you know, fun, classic murdery death in the middle? Sure. Well, I would also think that most people would believe that the Mothman has to eat something. (laughs) So perhaps the dogs are his favorite cuisine. This is a big creature. It's not just eating rats. It's got to go full dog here. Gee. Do you want to tell us more about this this bad event that comes sure. up? Sure. But I did want to mention just before we move on, I can't remember if we've talked about this in the podcast or not, but the literary trope that, oh, the bad guy kills a dog to prove that they're bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. There's a screenwriting book that everyone says you should get. And that's the whole teaching of the book is showing character within the story so that the story is more believable. Yes. 
Yes. So maybe that has something to do with it as well. You have to carry that on. Mothman isn't a good guy. We can't believe that because he kills dogs. He kills dogs and something bad's going to happen. And I said he, but it. Oh, you know what? I was going to bring that up at the very beginning. Sure. Because I was going to ask you if you thought there was a gender. I don't know because it seems like the muscular features of the Mothman portrayed make it seem like it is a male. I mean, it is a classical male body archetype. Yes. That you see in drawings and art. It does not have anatomy that would represent that. So who knows? Yeah. So in the movie, they're trying to analyze the recordings, one of the phone calls, like the one we heard. And Richard Gere's character is like, well, he blah, blah, blah. And the guy who's analyzing it with, which might have been Steve from Sex and the City, was like, well, how do you know it's a he? And then it was like, oh, my God. There is no gender when it's a harbinger of tragedy. <laughs> but I thought that was really funny, too, because then I thought, I really hope it's just Deborah Messing. <laughs> oh, man. Which, that did not happen. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but no. I was like, that would have been a really great direction. <laughs> yeah, but I imagine if John Keel had anything to do with it, he probably wanted it to be, quote unquote, more serious. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think the production value of this movie is kind of insane. I mean, obviously, it must have, like, tanked because the story is (laughs) not great. But, like, the names involved, like, Laura Linney is in this movie. Yeah. It was supposed to be a serious movie. We were all supposed to watch and be like, oh, my God, what is happening? But I think it is difficult. I don't. Making a horror movie, a real horror movie, is difficult. And if you think about 2002, you're competing with The Matrix. You're competing with Lord of the Rings. You're competing with, was it Memento around that time? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Deeper, more conceptualized stories that have, those stories lend themselves to more creative visual storytelling than The Mothman. Trying to make a Mothman look believable is very difficult. I mean, I will show Molly a clip later of a sighting of a Mothman, which kind of looks more believable. But most depictions of the Mothman are like, you would notice a guy walking around with giant wings. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This guy isn't hiding anywhere. <laughs> so the story goes that quote unquote exactly 13 months after the first Mothman sighting. But just let me remind you that technically the first Mothman sighting was on November 12th in the cemetery. However, on December 15th of 1967, the tragedy of the Mothman strikes. One interesting thing that I found was that Many people in the area actually claim to also have premonitions of this bad event occurring, which I don't know. Does that have anything to do with Mothman? Is he supposed to put this in people's minds or is that just an aside? I think that is an argument for Mothman is that they let's call them. They they have psychic abilities, which is kind of what they did in that clip that we just played mm-hmm. you know like the your hands on the chapstick <laughs> like <laughs> like it's not that he's viewing you it's that he can tap into your brains so that is definitely part of the myth of this creature i see i get it now okay yes so many people in the area claim to have these premonitions of a tragedy occurring it involved water and it also involved christmas presents which does make sense because it was December 15th. The Silver Bridge was a two-lane, 1,760-foot Ivar suspension bridge above the Ohio River. It was about 102 feet at the tallest point. 
the bridge was completed in one year and opened in 1928. I kind of looked into this bridge because I was curious because it is a little bit scary thinking about bridges collapsing. Oh, yeah. The engineering news record describes it as the first of its type in the United States and that there was apparently one other one built in Brazil, which was still working. However, it's a little bit scary. I don't want to cross a bridge that was previously involved in the deadliest bridge collapsing in United States history. So you're saying you wouldn't go there now? Well. I, I imagine now it's completely different, right? It's not the same. It's got to be way, whatever type of bridge it is, it's got to be like so much safer because you, you can't let another tragedy like that happen twice. Right. The state transportation commissions and all took that very seriously at the time, which is good. Kind of reminds me of that Minneapolis bridge collapsing. Oh, I was just thinking about that. And then I was thinking... This infrastructure plan is taking too long. It's very scary. How many bridges do we have just sitting waiting to collapse? It's a little bit frightening. It was originally built as a toll road, but the state purchased it and removed the tolls in 1946. And it became U.S. Route 35. West Virginia Department of Transportation gave me all this information, which I thought was very interesting. There were many inspections on this bridge. Right when the state bought the bridge, they had inspections and they found that there was about $30,000 in repairs that were recommended and they completed them. Was that $30,000 in 1967 money? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think they said. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. It'd be like a quarter of a million dollars today, FYI. It was a crazy bridge design, though, and that could have cost them more money just because of that. But there were two inspections done in the summer of 1967. And then the last inspection was actually done on December 6th of 1967. And this tragedy happens on December 15th. That is creepy. Yeah. So at 5 p.m., which is in the middle of rush hour. Eyewitnesses hear a loud gunshot-like noise and see the bridge folding like a deck of cards. The entire bridge collapses in less than 20 seconds. Now, in the Mothman fable, if you're talking to a Mothman head, that loud gunshot was a sonic boom made by the Mothman. Huh, interesting. I did not read that, but... There. I read that, I think, multiple times. And I was like, what are they referencing? <laughs> and then I looked at Molly's research and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. 32 vehicles were on the bridge at the time that fell and 46 people were killed. Nine were injured and two of the bodies were never found. Probably taken back with the Mothman. Mm. Alive and well living on the space saucer. There are plenty of stories out there about the people who survived this tragedy, but I didn't really go into any of them because it was mostly just, you know, trauma. And Molly's like, I'm here for the Mothman, damn it. (laughs) If they didn't see him, I don't give a shit. All right. But get therapy, bitch. Just so we can conclude the official story, on April 6th of 1971, the National Transportation Safety Board issues their determination that the collapse was caused by a cleavage fracture in the lower limb of an eye of the eye bar in a specific joint on the Ohio side suspension chain, which doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm sure does make sense to engineers. Oh, yeah, good point. The board also recognizes that the inspectors could not have visually seen this and that you really could have only detected the crack if you had taken apart the joints, which is interesting because the engineering news record, 
I spoke about before did mention that there was really no way to adjust the bridge once it was built. And some people commented that that was kind of ominous in the end, because if you can't adjust it for the natural like movings, that's probably a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, Yes, it's very bad. I did read one place that said that none of the eyewitness accounts initially had commented about a Mothman. But later on, people did claim that they saw Mothman around the area at the time. The thing that everyone agrees on is that the Mothman sighting suddenly stopped after this time. And I think that that was what brought the idea of it being a prophecy of doom into the picture as opposed to a cryptid like a Bigfoot who would be there all the time. Yeah, I heard a story. There was like this woman who claimed to see Mothman in her yard and she told her parents like, oh, I saw Mothman. And like, no, that's crazy. Shut up. But then the dad got into this insane airplane crash. Like he was flying from Los Angeles to Cincinnati or not to Cincinnati, but back to them in West Virginia, but the plane crashed in Cincinnati and he survived, you know, makes her story definitely more interesting. Sure. There are still sightings today and sightings were like, allegedly he was at Chernobyl and allegedly people saw it like at the 9-11 towers. Right. This creature has been added (laughs) to a lot of interesting events and honestly i don't think i believe any of them do you not necessarily because i also think that when you go down that kind of rabbit hole there's no like specific time between the mothman sighting and the tragedy then it just doesn't seem very valid you can pretty much be like well we saw a mothman two years ago so this happened yeah there's not a lot of hard connections it's a lot of like well all this weird stuff happened so it must all be connected and that's kind of what really builds the story of mothman and kind of gives it its its legacy because if it's that vague then anyone can kind of shoehorn this creature into their storytelling that definitely feels accurate. And Bridget and I didn't really do a whole bunch of in-depth research on this, but I do have a feeling that that is what the UFO stuff feels like to me. Like it it is just a shoehorning. Oh yeah. When that came up in my research, that was what I was thinking while I was reading those connections was like, there's nothing about your argument that says these are definitively connected and you can't keep just pointing to these events happening at the same time. But I think You could kind of do that in the 60s because you didn't have the internet. Sure. Yeah. Those kinds of stories in the 1960s was the same as like going to Reddit now. So as Molly said, I would talk more about Hangout Point. And that is because this place in this region is also in what is called the TNT area. The largest number of sightings happened in this area, and it is near the Old West Virginia Ordinance Works, but locals call it TNT area. And it is basically an abandoned munitions to the north of Point Pleasant, and it dates back to World War II. The facility during its operation made a bunch of ammunition and dynamite. And the area is mostly surrounded by forests and grassy clearings. And there's these thick concrete domes known as igloos. That's where they stored barrels of gunpowder. And the area is also filled with abandoned tunnels, most of which have collapsed or have been sealed off, or have been flooded. And now it's kind of known as a wildlife sanctuary, the McClintic Wildlife Management. And in 1979, 
fishermen in this area reported that chemicals have completely seeped into the ponds and it was labeled as an environmental disaster. In 1983, it was known as one of the country's most polluted sites. So a lot of people, their theory or hypothesis is that this could be a bird. And because of all these toxic materials, there's a good chance that it's a very deformed bird. And that kind of brings it to what is the real life Mothman? Now, as devoted listeners would know from two weeks ago now, Jersey Devil. Yeah, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> Just make sure. Okay, <laughs> Two weeks ago, two weeks ago when we covered the Jersey Devil, that was also thought to be perhaps a sandhill crane. It's interesting that the sandhill crane you think about where the lead Jersey Devil is and where Mothman sightings are, which is a reason why it came up in our research when we were doing the Jersey Devil. It's like they're sharing all this Appalachian landscape. Yes. And a sandhill crane is not necessarily native to the area, but one website did note from January of 2017 to August of 2019. There were 28 reported sightings of sandhill cranes. So they're in the area. They're just not super common. As we mentioned before, birds are terrifying. And also, as Bridget just mentioned, there is a lot of toxic waste in the area. So it would not surprise me in the slightest if this was a scary, deformed bird. Well, and with the sandhill crane, one of the reasons why they think it's that bird is because, I mean, like you said, it's been sighted in the area, but its size is around six feet and its wingspan is over seven feet. And with the red eyes, there's reddish flesh around a sand crane's eyes. So it's like a lot of similarities. There really is. And I think that no one's really expecting a six foot bird. Like as we spoke about on that episode, just the idea that if it's dusk or darker and you're seeing this creature and you don't know what it is, you can definitely see some things happening with your imagination. It's a very good point about what you can see in the dark because, as you know, people have also theorized it was an owl. Now, part of that reason is because, similar to the Mothman case, there was the Flatwoods monster. And this was in 1952, and it was a hissing apparition that terrified a family with its staring eyes and outstretched claws. And looking into this, it turned out that this monster was a barn owl. So I think that we can't discount the owls here. Yes, I did read a similar adjacent story was the owl man in England, which some people speculated to be a large species of owl at over there. The owl man is great because it is very similar. I think it's a harbinger of bad prophecy. Like there's definitely, you could easily Google Mothman and Owlman and people have written about how they're possibly the same cryptid, just an ocean apart. Sure. But with barn owls, what was funny is that <laughs> Barn owls are so terrifying that people who actually study owls did not want to do any field work when they were looking into this Flatwoods monster because barn owls by nature just freak people out. So like even people who are familiar with this bird are like, thanks, no thanks. Dang. That bird's going to like peck my fucking eyes out. And the Flatwoods monster was in South Texas and Mexico. And this also fits with Mothman's original reported shape, which was very owl-like. It had a head and body that seemed to blend together. But as we look into the details, the barn owl specifically falls short because we have the glowing eyes, right? 
And so there is another animal similar to barn owl and is also known for being a very loud, uh, interesting owl species, which is the barred owl. They prefer hollows in old trees and open forests, and they're common all over the southeast of the United States. And they did look to see, do these owls exist in this area? And there is a healthy population of barred owls. And they do have the, the dramatic crimson eye shine. So like Molly was saying earlier about the size, because barred owls are 17 to 20 inches. They did do a study where they had people basically they had a plywood cut out of a mothman with bike reflectors for eyes. And then they asked them what different sizes the cutouts were. And it's really hard for people to guess that correctly when you're also taking in how dark it is and the fear of what you're looking at. So they didn't have like any correct guesses. That's fascinating. So it very much could just be a big barred owl or a big teenage mutant Ninja Turtles style (laughs) barred owl. (laughs) Ooh, that's fun. That's very fun. And in 2016, though, there was a sighting. And what's different about this sighting is that it was caught on film. So I'm going to have Molly look at it and she's going to tell us if she thinks it's an owl, if she thinks it's real, what she thinks is going on here. And these stills are terrifying. Like it looks like it has legs. So I guess that was probably telling people that Trump was going to become president, maybe. Yikes. 2000, November 2016. And now I have to be honest be honest if i had seen that i would think that's a bird (laughs) but the stills when you watch it fly it's like oh that looks like a bird but when the stills that they pulled it looks like the creature from midnight mass i know that you do not get that reference and you probably never will because i think that may be too scary for you but any listeners who are watching it or have watched it and i think we definitely have those (laughs) That's what these stills look like they could be. <laughs> okay. Like, it just seems very obvious that that would be a bird. Like, it has it's wings. I don't know. That just seems really silly to me. But how do you explain the two neck-looking things or legs? Wouldn't that just be, like, brain legs, right? I think that the skepticism that I read is that it could be like a number of things. It could be a bird carrying a snake, for instance. Oh, interesting. Because for the listener, the images that we saw of this flying creature, it's a, more like a silhouette or like a dark. We did First off, there I did not see any red fucking eyes. And second off, it's not completely clear what exactly you're seeing. Right. One of the eyewitness accounts from that original November 15th account did say that she saw which is the weirdest thing but I think that that's where the statue comes from she said she saw leg muscle definition which is very specific and I think is different than a bird like a bird does not have leg muscle definition so do you think they really saw Mothman well, so, oh, yeah. So that was where I was going with that. Um, I think that there's probably some people who saw a bird, like that bird, but perhaps some other people saw something different and they're all just equating them. You know what I mean? So they might have really saw Mothman. A lot of people are just seeing a damn bird. It's possible. I don't know. Okay. All right. I'm just I'm just checking in and see what Molly what narrative Molly's going with. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really find the Mothman story to be all that compelling. Jesus. <laughs> I'm just being honest, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just being honest. 
Molly did not give a shit about this creature. She went in like, tell me more. And then she was like, yeah, I've heard enough. Well, okay. So some of the reasons why I don't believe this, because just from the research that I've done for this podcast, it seems like there are a lot of creatures from the 1960s and 70s. And like Bridget and I have talked before behind the scenes, there's probably (laughs) something going on besides the idea that suddenly there's a bunch of creatures in the 60s and 70s. A lot of lead in the water, folks. I did find the Chicago Mothman story on WBZ to be a fun, like, hey, eight minute story. And one of the reporters was talking about how there was a rash of Mothman sightings in 2017 in Chicago, which I was in Chicago and you were in Chicago in 2017. I left in 2016. Nope, I did too. Good point. Okay, neither of us were in Chicago. So that doesn't really work. But there were some eyewitness sightings. There were some pictures, which I think were kind of similar to what we saw. So the large, dark-shaped flying creature. But I thought that the scientists that they interviewed for the article had very good points. Humans tend to see humans because we as a species need to know if other humans are in the area. And then also, we actually haven't mentioned this before, but a lot of the articles did mention like the mass hysteria aspect of it, where if people around you are seeing Mothman, then you're going to be looking out for a Mothman. Yeah. And then, of course, the reporter did mention that people lie. So there could be some liars out there as well. Yeah, you have a combination of liars. And I think it's probably more common people are you know mislabeling in their brains what they're seeing more so than people who are like oh i got a really good scam sure we're gonna tell everyone we saw the mothman yeah i don't think that that especially nowadays i would not imagine there's a lot of scams but for instance when i was looking up owl man a lot of sources did say that that probably was a scam because the people who reported it were known scammers. And then the (laughs) other people who also cited it were friends with the known scammers. So it's like, eh, well, maybe, maybe incestuous. Yeah. In case you're curious, there is a website called phantoms and monsters, which keeps track of cryptid sightings and specifically in the Chicagoland area, I believe. And there's a map, like a Google maps, thing with all the sightings and there's quite a few so they're all in mount greenwood (laughs) maybe there is a chicago mothman where it's like a bunch of like south side irish republicans (laughs) no it's literally like all over chicago going out to the air to have a beer and then i saw the mothman come out around the corner and i said hey pal you're not puking in my yard okay the map is quite extensive Kind of a fun note to end on. In 2020, what a terrible, terrible year that we all lived through. Because I don't think there's many infants listening to this podcast. During that time where everyone was like, we got to get these fucking Confederate monuments out of our backyards. There was a petition floating around to replace them with Mothman statues. And on the petition site, it it cited that the Mothman statue was a prime representation of what is really important in American culture and history. And I can't say they're lying. No. Think about America's obsession with conspiracy. And that's, That's like the perfect point to make. I absolutely agree. But I wish that America was more of a a Bigfoot country. I did miss a point before. So the scientists that the reporter spoke to do speak of like 
there are no humanoid flying creatures on the fossil record. There's very little to uh, support that kind of thing. Whereas something like a Bigfoot, that could be real. That really could be real. There's absolutely things that that could be. Way more evidence for a primate than for a flying human. Like we don't have a, is there a flying mammal? There's not a flying mammal, is there? No, I don't, I don't think so. So it's unfortunate, but I do think it's very telling because it is very American to be like, yes, we do believe in this flying mammal. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, isn't, isn't a bat technically a flying mammal? Oh, that might be true. I don't know. I just think it's, but I mean, and some squirrels. So it's got to be like some highly evolved flying squirrel. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'm just like picturing that. That's insane. At the same time, concluding my thoughts, I do believe that there is a possibility that a TNT Superfund site would cause a creature to be uh, abnormal. So that would not surprise me. See, I'm sus of that too, because I feel like a, a super fun site, that's not going to be a huge animal that's like outrageously big, unless it's outrageously kind of close to being brain dead. You're going to get like tiny, sick creatures that are like, don't know what they're doing flying into walls. I think that they're probably really just a giant bird. But the psychicness of a bird an event, I'm not going to say that is impossible. Okay. But I think the thing that compels me about the idea that it could be a a mutated creature is that if it's one of these already very large birds who is then mutated, because we, maybe as Midwesterners, like creatures are small, right? Like birds are small. They're not huge. We got hawks and eagles. Barely. Didn't your parents take you out to the river to look at eagles? What was that weird thing that like every parent in Iowa made their kids do in the 90s? Well, we had the Raptor Center, which was a whole thing where they brought youths out to see the birds of prey. And then they televised it. During the pandemic, people were watching these baby eagles in Iowa, outside Iowa City, be rehabilitated. And they were like losing their minds. And I was like, yeah, whatever, over it. (laughs) Been there, seen that. I did spend some time as a youth in those kind of areas, which they are very large birds. I'm saying it just, I think that birds, big birds can exist without needing the the genetic mutation caused by toxicity. I agree with. And I would think the likelihood of survival and growing big while also being a toxic uh, or cancerous bird, I guess, seems more unlikely. Like this, this is a just super healthy bird that like found a way sure. to like drink a bunch of dairy and then hulk out like humans have in the last hundred years. You did mention in Jersey Devil that the bird could have a disease like rabies. Is that why it's following a car, for instance? Oh, definitely still possible. Could be sick that way. Yeah. Okay. But not sick like, oh, I have a benign tumor on my head, but I'm going to go out and chase humans. Get out of here. You got to go home and nurse that tumor. Oh, thank you, Molly, for finally doing the Mothman. I know that finally probably doesn't sound like it to the listener, but it's something we've talked a lot about behind the scenes. We definitely have. So, Molly, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MollyMM9. How about you? And you can find me on those same platforms at Bridget underscore suck it. You can find this podcast at sex with ghosts underscore there. You could find our poll, which you heard at the beginning of this episode, obviously vote for me. I mean, you can vote for Molly, but you should vote for me. And we also have a Patreon. If you want to support us more, patreon.com slash sex with ghosts there 
we get 20 followers, we're going to start doing merchandise, which Molly and I already have hoodies that we want to give everyone else a hoodie. So the only way we're going to do that is if we know people want the damn hoodies. And you can support us with no monetary contribution just by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Molly, is there anything else that I have not mentioned? I think that's it for tonight. But stay tuned for the rest of Monster Month. We have two left, baby, and they are going to be terrifying, hopefully. All right. Bye. Bye.